The liturgical year of the church begins in Advent, of course, the four weeks before Christmas as we prepare to celebrate the Nativity. That's the beginning of the new year. And then the season of Christmas. And now we're in the season of Epiphany after the Magi had arrived on the sixth day of Christmas uh, to greet the baby. And in the middle of Epiphany, we mark and remember the baptism of Jesus. Now the lectionary readings that we use throughout the year are coordinated with this liturgical calendar as a way of walking us through the lifespan of Jesus, his ministry, his death and crucifixion, um, as a way of getting a, a full picture of Jesus' life. And so it's important for those of us who are baptized as Christians to remember Jesus' own experience of baptism. And it's important because who we are is really determined by the fact that we are baptized. Baptism is really not so much a benefit that we hold on to as sort of a badge of uh, entry, but is rather um, an affirmation of who we are and a commission to who we shall uh, become as followers of Jesus. Now, most people, as Vanessa noted, um, are baptized as children, infants, and so have no memory uh, probably, of their baptism. Some are baptized as young adults or adults, and each of these experiences has their validity, the different ages at which baptism is practiced. One of the advantages, I think, of the baptism is in, of infants is it's a clear affirmation that one is baptized not because you warrant it, you merit it, you've somehow earned it, but you are baptized not because of who you are, but because of who God is. God loves you. God is love. You are the beloved of God. You might even think that we had coordinated our ministry this morning. You are the beloved of God. This is the great affirmation of our baptism. Now sometimes, of course, we people are confirmed. Right? Con confirmation comes sometime in 8th, ninth, 10th grade, somewhere in there, where a child who had previously been baptized confirms the parents' promises and vows made on their behalf when they were infants. Confirmation is an interesting idea because we really have the opportunity to confirm our baptism on a daily basis. Now, I don't remember my baptism because I was a little lad. I have a very faint memory of my confirmation because back in the 60s, a lot of congregational churches celebrated communion very infrequently, like the church I grew up in, and people were confirmed on Monday, Thursday, because it was one time in the year when you could be the church would be celebrating communion because of the Last Supper. So I was very active in the church growing up, loved the church, loved God, loved Jesus, wanted to be a minister when I grew up. And then we had confirmation on Monday, Thursday. Ooh. The church was dark. The hymns were mournful. The faces were long and downcast. The minister was very serious. I sat there thinking, what have I done? What am I joining? <laughs> 
Today, we remember our own baptism and recommit ourselves to our identity as one who is baptized. In doing so, we remember the baptism of Jesus from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. Now John would have prevented Jesus, saying to him, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. So John consented, and when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up out of the water, suddenly the heavens were opened, and he heard the Spirit of God descending. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, from with whom I am well pleased. Amen. Now Matthew, Mark, and Luke each tell the story of the baptism in their own way. John refers to some kind of event around the baptism, but doesn't ever portray the baptism by John in the gospel itself. John the baptizer sees Jesus at the Jordan and points to him and says, Behold the Lamb of God. But there's no actual account of Jesus' immersion into the water. In each event, there is some kind of manifestation, a theophany, the foreshadowing, the showing forth of God's presence. In this particular passage, it takes place in two ways. One, Jesus has a personal experience where he perceives, it's very clear, he perceives the heavens open and the dove descending upon him, the Holy Spirit like a dove. That's his perception. And then the voice from heaven says, Behold, this is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Other people hear it. We hear it. Those bystanders or those who follow him look on and hear this word from God, which will be reiterated again, of course, at the Transfiguration, in the middle of his journey from Nazareth to Jerusalem. He'll go up in a mountain. He'll be transfigured before Peter, James, and John. And again, the voice will say, Behold, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased, listen to him. Beloved, you, you are beloved of God. You are enough. You don't have to be somebody else, a better version of who you are. You need to be you. Baptism, the free gift of God, is the overarching affirmation of God's love for all of us just as we are. Not because we've earned it, not because we've merited it, not because we've overcome some kind of moral or emotional hurdle. We all walk around thinking, oh, I should be more of this, I should be more of that, I should do less of this, I should do less of that, running ourselves down all the time. You are enough. The you that is really you, not the persona that you project to the world. You know, the uh, psychologists talk about the uh, problem of, uh, what's it called? Um, imposter syndrome. 
Thank you. That you're afraid that people will find out who you really are. Right? You don't have to be afraid. Honest to God, you don't have to be afraid anymore because God knows you just the way you are and God loves you. You are beloved of God. So that's the first affirmation of baptism. The second, of course, comes with the identity that we take upon ourselves as those who are baptized to become followers of Jesus. Look at Jesus didn't get baptized by John and hear this voice from heaven and say, oh, it's time to kick back, pop open a cool one, and watch the game. What happens? He goes out into the desert. He's tested, fasts for 40 days and 40 nights, right? Comes back. And then what does he do? Becomes healing people, starts healing people, preaching, feeding, loving people. And all the time, guess what happens? All the authorities are mad. Why are they mad? Because Jesus loves people just the way they are. Because he doesn't play by the rules established by the authorities. In the same way, when we're baptized, we're called to that same kind of life. Loving people just the way they are. Not abiding by the labels and the distinctions and the divisions that the world imposes upon us. And chapter 10 of the book of Acts is one of the major turning points in Christian life, faith, history. Peter, the preeminent apostle, was having a vision one night as he was resting in the afternoon on the top of his roof. Now in the ancient world, you know, and people had a flat roof, so they'd go up there, and he's having a nap. And while he's having a nap, he's hungry. And so in the vision, a blanket is lowered down from heaven, full of food, all kinds of food to eat. But the food is like lobsters and shrimp and, I don't know, maybe a ham and cheese sandwich. Because all of these things, of course, are trafe. That is to say, they're not kosher. And he says, I can't eat this food. It's not kosher. I'm a Jew. So the blanket goes up again, and he's still hungry. The blanket comes down again with all this unclean food. He says, I can't eat that food. Up it goes, down it comes, up it goes, down it comes. Finally, the voice from heaven says to him, do not call unclean what God has called clean. Get up and eat. At the same time, Cornelius, who's a Roman centurion on the seaside in the city of Joppa, has a vision that Peter will come to him and preach in his house. Now, he's a Gentile. Jesus, all of his friends, all of his followers, all the early Christians, are not really Christians yet, their sectarian movement within Judaism, are all Jews. And emissaries are sent from Cornelius to Peter to say, please come to my house and preach. So Peter went. And when he arrived, he went in. And what do you do when you're sort of a clergy person, you go into somebody's house to visit? What do you do? Have a cup of tea, eat a piece of cake? No, he preaches a sermon. Wow. Those are the good old days. Okay. (laughs) Peter began to speak. I truly understand that God shows no 
partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears God, does what is right, is acceptable to God. This is a turning point in the history of Judaism. I truly understand that God shows no partiality. That is to say, I love these people, not so crazy about those people. But in every nation, anyone who fears God and does what is right is acceptable to God. God doesn't choose. Doesn't say, you're up, you're down. God loves. While Peter was still speaking, verse 44, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. Now, the Holy Spirit had appeared in chapter 2 of Acts when it came down to the apostles, who were all Jews. But here, in this case, Gentiles are the recipients of the gift of the Holy Spirit. It fell upon all who heard Peter's word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter, the Jews, were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter said, Can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And so he ordered that Cornelius and all his household be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they invited him to stay with them for several more days. More sermons to come. Can we withhold the water for baptizing those who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Baptism is the outward and visible sign of the inward and invisible grace of God. So as baptized Christians, we are called to be those who show no partiality, who don't give in to the temptation of the divisions and the differences and the denial of the essential humanity, the essential dignity of every single human being. The first and primary job of any authentic religion is to affirm the dignity of the individual. That's it. And that's what we are called to be. And we can do that first and foremost because we have embraced the reality that we are the beloved of God. Not an identity to be held on to, but an identity to be shared and to opened up to the whole world. Not something to be clung to. In Paul's letter to the Philippians in the second chapter, Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but rather emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, becoming obedient, obedient even unto death, even death on a cross. Do not grasp our identity as the beloved of God, but to share our identity. And this, my friends, when we do that, then the heavens will be opened again. And the people we know and touch and live with, they will hear the voice of God, saying to them, you are my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Amen.